Jillian, tell us about meeting Kelly Ripa. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. So, so my husband says his favorite part of me with this book is that I've had this long list of nevers. And he just watches me cross one off after another. Um, this podcast also being one of them. Like, oh, I'll <laughs> never do a podcast. And then it was, will you do a book signing? And I was, oh, I'll never do a book signing. So a couple weeks ago, I did a book signing. Um, and it was so wonderful. Yes. And it was so fun. I think everybody should have a book signing, whether you have a book or not. <laughs> we should all have occasions where we just go and sit someplace for three hours and people show up and speak <laughs> encouraging things to us. And we speak encouraging things to them. And we, you know, meet new people and we get to see all the the people that matter to us. I think everybody should do it. But the day <laughs> after the day after my book signing, because you know my book signing was my big event that weekend. Um, I had won tickets to go see Kelly Ripa because she also has written a book. And in her book, she also says she's not a writer. And maybe she wasn't before she wrote her book, but now she is. She has a book. So we're both writers. We're both writers who aren't technically writers, but now we are. <laughs> and um, I had a copy of my book with me. And I was like, what are the chances that I can give Kelly Ripa copy of my book. Probably not great. She had a lot of security there. So, um, so we went and I thought maybe she would be signing books and then I could just casually approach her and say, Hey, Kelly, we're both writers. Isn't that fun? Um, but there was no official book signing. And so at the end of the event, um, she left the stage and I said to my husband, I wonder if we just walk around back. Um, if, if maybe we just could bump into her, this is also not like me. I am, you know, again, normally I'm operating out of the scarcity mentality of like, well, it's over. Let's just go home. Nothing's going to happen. And instead it's like, well, why not try? And so we walked around the back and sure enough, we saw these SUVs with the tinted windows and all the bodyguards just lining <laughs> from like the door to the vehicle, um, the stage door, you know, exiting the theater and I was like, oh my goodness, I think we might get to see her. She might wave at us, you know, and I wonder, is it, is it inappropriate if I like throw my book at her and hope she catches it? <laughs> like, what do I, what, what point can I just lean over the bodyguard and just gently hand her my book? Well, she came out and she walked right up to the crowd. There was a large crowd out there. I didn't realize okay. that apparently everybody that goes idea. back there. I, I thought I had this novel genius idea. I was not the only one. Um, but again, abundance, you know, scarcity. We don't just, everybody can have this great idea. Well, she walks right up to me. I don't know why, because I, you know, I was trying to be normal. I wasn't because like waving my hands. Screaming and waving screaming. Yes. I was in my head. I was trying to be like, represent Kentucky. Well, <laughs> don't be, don't just be normal. Like she's a person. She's just a normal person. Yeah. Um, and so she walks right up to where I'm at. And of course, people are thrusting their books in between us and asking her to sign it. Well, part of me winning these tickets was I had already won a signed copy of her book. So I had her book tucked under one arm with her signature. And then I had streams of gold tucked under my other arm and I had signed it for her because, you know, of course, she's going to want a signed copy from me. And <laughs> so I wait patiently. And a few people get their book signed. And then I said, hi, Kelly, um, you've already signed my book. And I, you know, I opened her book. I said, you've already, I've already got your signature in your book, but I wrote a book and I was just wondering, could we take a picture 
holding our books. And she was so kind and so gracious. And she was like, you know what? Why don't we take a picture holding each other's books? And I'm like, yes, Kelly Ripa. Like, that's even better. And so invite me on the Today Show. I know. So we switch books. And of course, my poor, my sweet poor husband was buried in the back of the crowd. So I turn around and I start yelling for him, Travis. Travis, get up here and take our picture. And so then Kelly starts yelling his name as well. And she's like, yes, Travis, Travis. And so he made his way through the crowd. He took the picture. And then we, you know, walked off. And Mark Consuelos, her husband, who yes. I don't know if you know their story, but they met on a soap opera. Um, and so they're both just, you know, they're just gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> couple. Um, and so he's standing over by the car. And I just said, hi, Mark, I just gave your wife my book. If you guys get bored, you know, on the airplane, headed back to New York, feel free to read it. Um, you got sassy. I mean, I think I was running on adrenaline um, <laughs> and also on optimism. But you know what? I thought how nice of her to take this picture. And she she took the book. But, you know, are, are you really going to read the book? Probably not. Like you're Kelly Ripa. You have a lot going on. Well, she sent me a message the next day. And she really? said, yes, this is how kind she is. She just, she was fantastic. She sent me a message the next day and she said, I have one book that I have to read for work. And then your book is next for me to read. And she said, work first and then pleasure. Oh, so um, <laughs> I guess I should say, go out and get the book that Kelly Ripa is apparently also reading. Um, maybe that should be my plug. <laughs> I think it should. So, but she is so kind. And I think it's just such a good reminder of, again, abundance. I'm still waiting for my shout out, you know, each morning when I have my coffee with her. It was fun, though. It was really fun. Again, when I was pecking away at those keys months and months ago, saying, I'm writing a book for my three kids, never would I have imagined what God was really up to. Um, And I think He knew not to let me in on it, because I would have said no way. Wow, such magical things are possible when we step out and position ourselves for it. I cannot get over it. It's so incredible. You are going to love our guest today. Her name is Jillian. She's lovely and funny and fun and just perfect, which is funny. I just can't help it. But we're talking about perfection today. So I'll rephrase. She's perfectly imperfect, but she is on a beautiful journey and she's sharing it with us today. It's super cool because God speaks to me uniquely, but he also sprinkles that same message across the world in this unifying movement. And I think that's astounding. But today you're going to really resonate with her words. She leads us straight to the father. She introduces us to his character in a new way. She has recently authored a memoir called Streams of Gold. And so it's just so, so exciting. I hope you sink in and enjoy it. And just uh, call me when you're ready for some one-on-one conversation about this. And I would love to chat with you about it. I hope you enjoy. All right. (laughs) Me too. All right, Jillian. Well, surprise, surprise. Okay, so the other day I posted something about what? The Enneagram and Harry Potter and something like that. Yeah, all the things. And you commented, and then I was like, wait, are we the same person? (laughs) And and then, like, the more I read your book, I'm like, we are the same person. (laughs) So I don't know if you know this, but I'm an SLP. 
No way. Oh my goodness. I did not know that. <gasps> wow. That's chills. That is. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I don't think she knows this. This is going to be. No, crazy. I did not. I, um, you know, I'm relatively new to the Ash and Ivy and the stop pretending world. But every time <laughs> I, every time I go a little bit further and delve a little bit deeper, I'm like, oh my gosh, we are like kindred spirits. I think I'm like this, mm-hmm. this girl is doing all the things that in my mind, I'm like, we need more of this. And mm-hmm. so I just, I love what you've done with this space and this community. I'm honored to have been asked to participate. And, um, (laughs) that really, really means a lot. Um, I was listening to one of your podcasts, one of your most recent ones. And, um, as I was listening, I just found myself nodding, you know, yes, yes, yes. Um, and then I, you know, because I think you said something about when you sent me a message that you were geeking out on my book and I was geeking out on your podcast because I was taking all these notes and I wrote down something you said, and I was like, yes, this is it. Um, you I think this was maybe your most recent one, um, unless one snuck in there since I can, um, remember, but it's, you said the way we see ourselves needs to be a reflection of the way God sees us. Mm-hmm. And that just, to me, I've just been thinking about that ever since I heard um, you say those words, because that's the perfect way to probably describe my book. Like it was just a mm-hmm. scales falling off of how I thought God saw me and how God sees us and how I'm learning. He really does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I feel like if people, if when we, when I just taste little glimpses of that truth, it's so hard to really hold it tightly, but Mm -hmm. we get like little taste of, of that moment of like empowerment or clarity. And you're like, wait, oh, that's how God sees me. And it just lights you on fire, you know? And you're like, wait, oh, this is wonderful. This is what life is. But for some reason we lose it. It's hard to hold on to. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I did geek over your book. I read it in two sittings and, (laughs) and just really felt like it just felt so um, refreshing and raw and, but also um, just dynamic. Well, first of all, I think it's like bizarre and fascinating, this mix of, of how like God downloads this I mean, cause obviously there's like Christian lingo and, and buzzwords and things going around, you know, on that are mm-hmm. like themes, but then there are things that I feel genuinely like, no, God literally spoke that to me. I don't mm-hmm. feel like I've read that on Instagram or whatever. And it feels very personal and it feels like my own, my own words or whatever. And I think it's just so neat and beautiful and I've learned that there's space for him to do that for other people. And so like we were saying, I just feel like for me and you, we've kind of wrestled through some very similar things. And, and so that's really cool. Absolutely. And in the wrestling of it, you know, when I was, th- this book has been, you know, it's been a lifetime in the making. I just didn't realize God was making it, um, yeah. which that's true of all of our stories, right? Like everybody yeah. has a story and we often don't know what he's doing in our story, um, (laughs) until we kind of can look back a little bit. Um, but when some of these same lessons, I feel like that you are, um, really passionate about, and that I'm also very passionate about 
were, when he was working those out in my heart, it was a very um, hard, difficult time where I didn't think anybody else was struggling with the things I was struggling with. Um, And so I think it's so cool when finally we get the courage to say, this is what I was struggling with, or this is what I have a hard time with. And then you hear other people say, oh, really? Me too. Like, I thought I was the only one. Um, And I feel like we're never, we're never the only ones. Um, Yeah, but it is isolating when you're kind of in it. And for some reason, it's hard to kind of come above, come up for air and, and be able to see that. And so I love this space because I do hope to offer connection and help people, you know, feel not so alone. And so, well, your book is set up in like short narratives, which makes it really flow and it makes it super entertaining. Um, I love all the little short stories and I think that's so neat. And I mean, I took so many notes from just your preface, like we could just stay (laughs) right there. But, um, but the whole thing is just sprinkled with treasures and, um, I love it. Thank you. That means a lot. So I guess the first thing I wanted to ask about, and then I want you to tell us kind of how the book came about and the title and, and all those good things. But I just, did you listen to the episode with Jess from salt and gold? I listened to parts of it. Some, some bits and pieces. I believe I got interrupted when I was listening to that one by my sweet four-year-old a few times. Um, (laughs) But I love her work. Oh, I, I, I didn't know anything about it until that episode. And so just going and looking at her beautiful work was extraordinary. Well, the Mm -hmm. thing that she said that really changed me is that, so she said, I don't consider myself an artist. I'm a missionary. Mm. And so you open your book by saying, I'm not a writer. Well, (laughs) you literally wrote a book, but you're not a writer. And I just find that fascinating and timely. And so I wanted to just kind of like hear your take on that and sure well you know there's a lot of different aspects of that statement um so it kind of ties into where the book came from and um but to start with so I opened the book with I'm not a writer because I had never written anything before um you know I had journaled a little bit I had you know written mandatory you know, (laughs) reports back in the school way back when, but I would definitely not have called myself a writer when I started. Um, What I originally was planning to do was write a book for my three kids. So I have a currently a four-year-old, seven and nine-year-old. So I have two daughters, there are bookends, and then we have our one and only son in the middle tucked in there. And um, I wanted to write stories, memories, lessons, thoughts, um, just those kinds of things for them to have one day when they get older. Um, Because what I had realized was that my parents will tell a story that in all 38 of my years, I've never heard. And I would be like, why, how did I not know that? But things just don't come up, right? And we all have these, these pieces to our story that sometimes they get told, but more often than not, they don't. And so I wanted to compile that for my kids to have it, whatever day and age it was appropriate to share those with them. Um, And so when I started, that's what my goal was. It was to write a book. I think I might be the only person who wanted to write a book with the intention for 
only three other souls to read it. Um, <laughs> I I never could have imagined sharing it beyond my three kids. Um, but so first of all, that was really true. When I started writing the book, I wasn't a writer. Now I would consider myself a writer. Okay. Um, so there's some interesting, there's some interesting thought-provoking ideas there of like, what do we, what, what do we require of ourselves before we accept an identity, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, we often are more than we give ourselves credit for being or have more capacity and capability than we think. Um, but also I just wanted to be super transparent and vulnerable and honest because with my kids as my audience, I wanted them to know I'm doing this out of a place of not being well-equipped to do it. Or at least that's how I felt at the beginning. Like, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I'm not a writer. I'm a talker. I think that was my next line. Maybe I'm a talker. So I'm just going to imagine this is a conversation. Yeah, and it sounds like um, so. one. It sounds really easy to it flows, and it's such a good blend of like pieces of your history, like family history, but then also very practical, real things like things you would face with a friend or mm-hmm. you know, life life things that are hard. And so your kids are going to love it. It's such a treasure. It became really apparent that maybe this book was meant for more than just me and just my kids. And who am I to hold on to it um, out of, you know, a self-protection or a, oh, these are my private. These are the tender parts of my heart because I, it is really raw and really vulnerable because I wrote it, not expecting um, to share it. And I think I'm so glad I didn't know, because I think even subconsciously, I probably would have tried to make myself, you know, sound a little shinier or, you know, maybe would have put those things in there that I'm like, oh, I don't want this person to get offended. So I'm going to make sure I cushion that or so it really is it really is just very honest and vulnerable and it's been so cool to realize when we're honest and vulnerable and we stop pretending right um little podcast plug in there when we stop pretending (laughs) we can find that everybody else is tired of pretending too and there's a lot of freedom in being seen and known and loved um yeah and so you you talk about like the creation and creating and using creating as a healing. It sounds like you used mm-hmm. that as a healing Absolutely. mechanism. And so kind of give us just an overview of what, just what areas you were trying to work on and how God really shaped your life. Sure. Um, so the book starts out with just this idea of a jumble of pieces, right? That we all have pieces. We have pieces to our story. We have struggles, we have giftings, we have our own personalities, we have circumstances, some of which are totally beyond our control and some of which maybe we've chosen. Um, And so I just started with this idea of we all have these pieces and we're trying to to make sense of them, right? Yeah, and you actually, Um, you literally talk about having everyone is standing at the table and their pile of pieces is in front of them. Exactly. What a great visual. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just my pieces and your pieces. It's we're all kind of eyeing each other's pieces and how do we measure up and do we have enough and what are we lacking and why didn't we get that? Um, And I think for me, when I wrote it, I wrote the first chapter and the last chapter. And those both of those chapters kind of come back to that visual of piecing things together. And I don't want to spoil it because there's a little more to it than that. So I'll leave that for the reader. Um, but within that, 
I have started examining, you know, picking up these different pieces of my life and saying, what value does that have? Is that here accidentally? I don't think God allows, you know, accidental things. So what's the purpose in, you know, whether you imagine it as a puzzle or whatever you're putting together, what's the purpose of it? And we can't always see that, but I do think that my mind goes to creativity in a time of trying to make sense of things. Um, And I didn't realize that was really my makeup until I got into the Enneagram, which I know you're also a big fan of. Um, And I think that's a valuable, it's a really valuable tool, um, not only to get to know ourselves better, but to have compassion on ourselves and to learn to be compassionate towards others. Um, That was just, it was such a huge thing for me to understand that, you know, I'm a perfectionist. So, and that is literally I didn't even need to take an Enneagram test. Of course I did because I want to do things the right way. But then when it said, you're an Enneagram one, you're a perfectionist. I'm like, yes, I could have told you that. Like this, <laughs> that's the crux of my story is this idea of, you know, something's not right, right? We all know something's not right. There are things that are broken that we wish weren't. There are things about ourselves that we wish were a different way or that we could get out from under a certain struggle. And for me, perfectionism has always been the way I've been wired and then perfectionism when you can't achieve it because as humanity we cannot is super frustrating but also it can cause a lot of anxiety which is another struggle that I've had Um, and then that anxiety can often make you want to just control things because you want things to be a certain way you want them to be perfect Um, And I used to think of that as a really shameful way to be like, I wish I weren't a perfectionist. I wish I wasn't anxious. I wish I weren't so controlling. Um, And the Enneagram was kind of the spotlight of God's grace in one of the very practical ways that I feel like once I read Enneagram resources, that was my me too moment. You know, that was, oh my goodness, there's other people like this and maybe I'm not flawed and maybe God designed me this way on purpose, with a purpose. And now here I am having a book with my rawest parts put on display. And that's what he's using. Um, He's not using the, you know, I like to say that, so the book is called Streams of Gold. I don't even know if I said that. Um, But the idea behind the whole story um, and kind of the overarching theme for me has been, I always wanted to hide the imperfections. You know, I always wanted to get it right and hide those things, but that's not the business God's in, right? He uses the weak things. He uses the broken things. And so my story is really just like everybody else's story. It's a story of redemption, but it's not redemption as in, Hey, I've figured it out. Um, Here's all the answers. If that's what you're wanting, this is not the book for you. Um, But instead it's a the redemption comes in that we don't have to figure it out. Like he's got it all um, and that he uses all those broken pieces. So for me, creativity on the Enneagram is where I move in stress. I move to a four, which is a really creative um, mindset and skill set. And so when I get stressed and don't know what to do with my imperfection, I'm left with this jumble of pieces that I think God has really wired me to access creativity to be able to make something beautiful with that. I was just learning um, about the missing piece. Have you read about the missing piece in the Enneagram? No. Okay. So where, tell me, where do you go in growth? 
seven. Okay. So I don't fully understand this, so I need to read up on it. And I think Beth McCord, who is a mm-hmm. Enneagram coach teaches on this and she might call it convergent or something like that. But so you would go to the seven in help, mm-hmm. right? But once you've kind of worked, done some work in that, then you actually find your missing piece in your area of stress, which is creativity and um, whole, whole health from there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I wow. don't know the ins and outs. I'm, I have it on my to-do list to, to really become knowledgeable, but I follow the Enneagram explained on Instagram and they are doing a series on it right now about the missing piece. And this I just is fascinating. It, you I just know. gave me, you just gave me my rabbit hole. I'm going to go down later today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I thought it might, but it's fascinating to me that God is using your weakness. This is all becoming clear to me as I say it. You, we, you know, based on the Enneagram, you're considering creativity or four. Obviously it's not the strengths of the four. It's the weaknesses of the four as your weakness, but in strength, as God redeems, he's going to pull those things that we call weak and make them our healing. Like you use them for healing, right? Like, isn't that awesome? And so consistent with everything we know about God. So consistent, like the ultimate creator. Imagine that the ultimate creator is so creative to be able to use (laughs) all of the, the muck, um, to make, to make the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name correctly, I believe it's Suzanne Stabile. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name correctly, but she wrote, um, one of either the path between us or the road back to you, or maybe she may have co-authored or and authored both of those, but I've heard her speak on the number you go to in stress as there's something in that number, um, in that skill set that you can't access in your number. So when it's lacking and you're in stress, you go to your, you know, your number you go to in stress to get that. So for me, mm-hmm. that has really rung true of as a one, a perfectionist is very rigid, right? I can't get flexibility if I feel like I have to do everything very black and white, that there's not a gray area, there's no in between. So when I move to the creative that that four offers, then I can access some of the flexibility, some of the new possibilities yeah. that my rigid perfectionist mindset could not access. And I feel like that is why I was probably drawn to writing um, because it helped me make sense of things that I just, I couldn't get them right. And so I didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. It's, it's amazing. And I, I mean, you say it also in the book that we are designed to be creators as our father creates and Mm -hmm. that creating is used for lots of things. I mean, so any kind of feeling of lacking of peace or lacking of contentment or, or those kinds of things, feeling depressed, then we can respond with, with creativity. And so I just think that kind of goes back to what we were saying. Like this book came out of a place of needing to pour out of what was genuinely being healed in your heart. It wasn't just, you sat down and you're like, okay, I have a task. I want to write a book and I want to do it. Well, it, it more was a, a flow of authenticity. And I think that's what makes it so like what you were saying, it's, it's what makes it so inviting. And 
it's what makes it connect. Well, that's good to hear that that did translate because I think had I been doing it with a preconceived idea of what I wanted it to be, it would have just been another example of me striving um, and trying, performing instead of thriving. I think there's a big difference between striving and thriving. And so Mm -hmm. when we are, when we allow ourselves to just be who we were authentically designed to be, and we take away the, well, I should be more like that, or let me try to imitate what, like this person was a successful writer. Let me try to imitate their style. It's inauthentic and, and that doesn't resonate. Um, So even if the details of the way I process things or the circumstances of my life don't resonate with people, there seems to be some underlying um, chord that struck in just seeing somebody be vulnerable and be authentic and knowing that that's all, that's what we all want. And that's what we're all striving for. Um, It's, I mean, why is it so hard? Like our, to be human, our goal is to be perfect. And, and for some reason, being human is the hard part, which Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be that way. Exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, well, I laughed so hard when you said you felt like you'd been spied on by the Enneagram, because that's exactly how I felt. Like (laughs) I was like, shh, you just exposed everything that I try to keep hidden. (laughs) Exactly. And it was, it was this, like, I felt like I was having two simultaneous reactions at once. Like I, I found myself holding my book closer to me as if somebody was going to suddenly come around the corner and, yeah. and look over my shoulder and be like, Oh my goodness, that's you. But then at the same time, I also felt myself having this internal sigh of relief because again, even, even with the things that are hard or the things that we think are just us, when you find that community of people who say, that's not just you. Um, I think there's just a bond there, you know, where you're given permission to be okay to not be okay. Um, and, and even further than that, it's not just that I'm going to, I wanted to share this with you. And I think this is a good time. So my -hmm. daughter is learns Latin. Okay. As part of her school. So she's nine years old and she's in third grade and they're learning Latin. So the other day I was reviewing with her over some Latin homework. I don't know Latin. I know nothing about Latin. So I try my best. I butcher most of the words, but this week she was learning about the verb tenses. And apparently there's all these different verb tenses in Latin. And one of them is called the imperfect tense. And I thought that's odd. What is the imperfect tense? Like that doesn't sound good. Like why would, why would there be an imperfect tense in this language? (laughs) Because when I think of imperfect I think something's broken, something's flawed, something needs to be fixed, it's bad. Um, But actually the word imperfect in Latin means not finished, okay? So it doesn't mean it's wrong, it doesn't mean it's bad, it doesn't mean it's broken, it just means it's not finished. It's an ongoing action. It's the action's not done yet, it's still happening. And when, when she, when I reviewed that with her and I saw that in her little workbook, like, wait, imperfect means not finished. I felt like I got this hopefulness about me of, wait, there's way more to this than just your Latin review. 
And I've just been mulling it over in my mind that when we think we hear be perfect, we think it means be correct all the time. Don't make a mistake. Right. Don't be bad. You know, do more, be better, try harder. But really it's not just that we're, you know, it's not, we're all flawed, which we are, but imperfect just means he's not done with us yet. You know, we're still, we're still in process. Um, And it just, it gave just realizing that and hearing that word and going back to that original Latin is a comfort of all it means is that God is still seeing purpose in us and is still working through us and working in us. Um, And it has nothing to do with it being a, oh, you're less than, or he's disappointed in you. It's that we're human, right? And we're in process. So I just, I love that, that it, it just that means too. not finished. That's there's potential there. And that's his only expectation for us is just keep going, just create, just take action, mm-hmm. you know, look to me. And I mean, the, the whole thing, like the being seen by the Enneagram is like, it's this mixture of tension because we want to be seen and understood, but don't look too close. Like don't uncover that secret or don't make me be weak. Don't let me be true in that area. I'll be open about this, but not that, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just so hard to, to recognize like, wait, the process is perfect. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, we live in a time where, you know, there's filters And there's, you know, highlight reels. And so I think we often can set our own expectations against us thinking, well, it looks like these people have this figured out, or I wish I were more like this person. And I think, luckily, I think in in some of the circles of people that I have around me now, there's this realization that authenticity is what is of value. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, sure. If you want to apply a filter and, and make, you know, the photo look a little more vibrant, there's no problem with that. It's just knowing that, that that's not the accurate thing. Um, and so, and I love the idea of, you know, the cover of my book is the pieces and then, you know, the streams of gold are going through the pieces Mm -hmm. Um, highlighting, you know, highlighting the cracks, highlighting the imperfections, making them more beautiful, not trying to patch over them and pretend they were never there. So it's wild to me to sit here and talk to you about all the things I have wanted to keep hidden for years. You know, Mm. look look at me, I'm this perfectionist and I'm going to try to be, you know, I know I can't be perfect. I'm going to try to be like perfectly imperfect though. And now to just kind of let go of it all has been the most freeing thing. And it's not a, I give up, but it's a, I can rest in the identity of knowing God sees me through his perfect eyes. And just because I don't always see myself through that lens doesn't make the way that I'm seeing myself or the way that I'm seeing others accurate. You know, it's a matter of, of having mature eyes to actually see where the beauty really is. And then mm-hmm. it's not, it doesn't always show up in the way that we think it should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just this confidence in knowing that we're chosen by God and that 
having our identity set in that is, is what gives us life. And so we're not looking for ways to be perfect or strive, but we just are settled in, in, in our relationship with him. Well, you, um, you close the book with this really powerful description of a man who had a stroke and was locked in. So that means he couldn't, his cognition was normal and inside he could think and understand and all of those things, but could not speak. And so I just, um, thought so much about that. And I loved your comparison to how we get locked into things that, that drag us down, that weigh us down, like perfectionism, people pleasing, striving, shame, regret, um, those kinds of things. And I guess I just want to talk about like what, I mean, cause we can say, yeah, we've done this, we understand. And it's great. But for the person who still feels trapped in their life, like, wait, I didn't choose this life. How did I get here? Is this just kind of the bed I laid and here I am and, and feeling kind of stuck in their life. How, how do they get out? But what do you even you know, what are the actions to take to even move out of that place? For me, I can answer that in the sense of um, my, my people pleasing. I'm a big people pleaser. Um, <laughs> where I was, yes. And I think in Christian communities too, we're taught, right? We're taught carry the burdens of others and that's what we should do. But I I found myself in a place in a specific relationship where I had taken that boundary. Um, I had actually just mold over the boundary in its entirety. And I didn't know how much is up to me, you know, carry each other's burdens. So whether that mean, you know, we're, we're helping, but also we we might be not respecting boundaries that are there. Um, and I, when I look at that deeper, it has far less to do with people pleasing. What it really had to do was with God pleasing. You know, I thought God says this and I want to be obedient to that, but also I want to make sure he's happy with me because the way that I had, what, whatever the struggles are, maybe, maybe a person's not a perfectionist. Maybe they don't struggle with anxiety, but I think when we're, when we're looking at ourselves in how does God view me? you know, we have this cognitive knowledge, right? Well, God loves me. Yeah. But I don't think I, while I believed that, I felt like for me, it was more of, well, God loves me because that's the deal, right? That's his job. It's his job. But he, he, I don't know that he likes me right now. You know, exactly. I know he loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so, but I don't like me. And the people around me don't really like me right now. I don't know that God likes me. Um, and there is a book by Dane Ortland. If you have not read it, it is one of my all-time favorites. Um, it really did a work in my heart on who is God really. Um, and it's called Gentle and Lowly. It's a beautiful book. But there's a quote that he says in there that kind of speaks to this um, to what you're talking about. And he said, do you not find within yourself an unceasing low-grade impulse to strengthen his saving work through your own contribution? Mm -hmm. And so when you are asking like, well, how does one get out of that mindset? Or how does one fight through that? In my mind, 
I was trying to fight through a lot of things. You know, I was trying to get to where, okay, I know God wants me there, but I'm here and I can't seem to get there wherever there is. Is there helping enough? Is there overcoming my struggle? Is there truly believing, you know, he does love me and he likes me, but there was always that effort on my part that I thought like, I've got to get that right. And I can remember specifically with anxiety, um, because that was always the thing I felt like God is really frustrated with me, I'm sure, because I'm frustrated with myself. So I kind of pictured my pile of pieces, you know, my rubble and God just standing over there crossing his arms being like, good grief, like this has been forever. You should have made more strides for this. You know, I've got your, you know, not to throw around a lot of churchy words, but you know, when you, when you find God and you repented, you know, your, your sin and your fallenness, you are saved, you know, you're justified, but, and you're good with him. Like you're, you're good. But then there's this ongoing process, you know, that we, we call sanctification where we're supposed to be growing. And so what do you do when you don't feel like you're growing enough? And then, so I was picturing God being like, listen, you're good, but I'm real disappointed with, Mm-hmm. with the progress you've made here, which let's look in the Bible that is, that doesn't even sound like God. That's not right. of God, but these are the stories I tell myself. And so I was super frustrated at one, one evening. And I remember laying down in bed and my husband said, I said, I don't know what else to do. And he said, why don't you just not do anything? Like, just stop trying. Just, just be Like Mm -hmm. God has made you how he, like God has made you just as you are. And so like, just rest in that. And that sounds so simple, but I had not had someone say that to me. And so I really thought the answer is just keep, try harder, do better, you know, keep at it. Um, And so then that's when I started really reading scripture and reading books, just like gentle and lowly that reminded me. And often just taught me for the first time ever, these ideas of maybe your greatest act of faith is not doing anything and just having faith that God is who he says he is. God loves you and he likes you and you don't have to do a thing about it. You know, you don't, we all have that impulse, you know, that low grade impulse that Dane Ortland talks about Mm -hmm. where we're like, but that's not how I operate. Like, that's not how it works with my relationships, you know, people got to do their part. They got to give, but I think before we can ever do anything, we have to, we have to be okay that like God made me on purpose with a purpose. But even if I don't do my purpose, he still loves me. Like he's not loving me more because of what I've done, because if he's loving me more because of that, then that strips away his grace, you know, and that's what his grace is. This is my rebuttal that comes to my head. It's not based mm-hmm. on truth. It is just literally my, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah, but there's more benefit when I do better. Right. Like mm, there's more. Yeah. I've heard that rebuttal. It's in my head often. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know God's love doesn't change for me, but if I spend more time with him, then I will X, Y, Z. If I, sure. if I show up and serve these people, then there will be greater, you know, joy or whatever. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think there is some hazy truth in that. Sure. There, I mean, but there's a balance. I think it's the, it is, it's, and it's sticky to even know our motivations. You know, we can think right. we're doing something 
that's totally selfless, you know, and I'll take my example, you know, I talk about in the book, um, a particular relationship that I had with a friend who was going through a really hard time. I wanted to help. Um, and I loved helping and I got a lot of blessing out of that. But at a certain point, it became clear that my motivation for doing things and doing them so over the top, while I thought it was bear each other's burdens, you know, we talked about that. Well, three verses later, it also says you carry your own load. So part of carrying my own load was I thought I was so prideful that I thought I should be able to help everybody and give and serve, but need nothing. And that is really just pride in disguise. You know, it was pride in the disguise of a servant's heart. And so while I do think absolutely we are called to do and to serve, the first thing we're called to do is to love God um, and then to love others as ourselves. And if we're not loving ourselves very well, then I don't want to love anybody how I was loving myself before, neglecting my needs, acting like I've got it all together. And if I don't have it all together, shame on me, you know, like, and so it just, it's a matter of learning that gentle and lowly compassion that God has towards us, having that towards ourselves. And it's a lot more easy for me to have that now towards others, because I don't feel this weight of, I've got to do more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's counterintuitive. It's extremely counterintuitive, but I mean it. And then at the same time, when you have a moment of like, wait, aha, then it's so simple because it's all going to work itself out. So if commandment number one is to love God, okay, well, how do we love God? First of all, we need to know him. So Mm -hmm. if, if our thoughts that we're practicing in our head are not actually from God, if we have been maybe taught things or we've accepted things as expectations of who God is or what he expects of us, and they're not accurate, then we need to be reintroduced to the character of God and be seeking him and abiding in him and, and spending time with him so that we do understand his expectation of us and the simplicity of his expectations for us. And then also his view of how he sees us, because then that motivation is going to clear itself up. And whether we write, even if we're not a writer or create art, even if we're not an artist or go take a meal somewhere, it's all going to flow out of loving God, you know? And so it just, it, it aligns, it just falls into sync when you do the first thing first and the next thing next. And absolutely. That's beautifully said. And it it also makes me think, I think I had lost sight of, I was very aware that God is just and God is holy and God is pure. Um, And yes, in my mind, I was like, yes, and God is graceful, but he's begrudgingly graceful. You know, like that's how I thought, because that's how sometimes I feel when somebody asks. more just than graceful. Yes. And the fact that he is all of those things perfectly and like the Latin perfect, you know, complete. He's all of those things completely. So his grace is far, far more of a complete idea than our idea of grace. And his idea of justice is far more complete than maybe my tit for tat, you know, idea of justice. Um, But I had lost sight of God's character, his characteristic of delighting. And Mm -hmm. I think he delights in us like I delight in my children. And when I think about that from 
the child's perspective and from the parent's perspective, I'm reminded a little bit more easily of this is how God feels about me. And would I, would I say to my child, Oh, you didn't, you didn't really do that picture perfectly. Like that's not quite the, the level I think you're capable of. No, I would never like, that's not even, I'm not holding my tongue or biting my tongue on that. That's not how I feel. And so I think when God sees us, he's given us a life. He wants us to delight in it just because something's enjoyable. Doesn't mean that he's only calling us to hard things. He's calling us also to our passions and to the things that, that bring us delight. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another thing that I love about, you know, as I've gotten to know you and listen to your podcast and, um, a lot of your stuff online, it's just really encouraging people that whatever passion is there, you have permission to delight in it. It's actually your calling Mm -hmm. to delight in it. So for me, writing is the avenue that has opened up um, that I just didn't know was there. And I sat on that having no idea. Um, And so it's so fun to just find these new things. And also part of the Enneagram, you know, I remember the Enneagram, it told, it said for one, find something that you've never done before and try it or find something you're not good at and try it. And I thought who would want to do something they're not good at, but until we try, we just never know what he has for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Just as we move, we grow and maybe we try something that we're not so good at, or maybe we don't like it, but now we know we can try something else. And I just love the fun and the joy and and the clarity that comes when we, when we move and that kind of thing. That's cool. This is so fun, Jillian. I could talk to you for hours, days. Oh, same, same fun. Um, but tons of insight. I think there's a lot for us to kind of chew on and I appreciate you and, um, your authenticity and the way that you've really just bravely faced all the human parts of you and all the superpowers that you have and are using them all. So that's, it's huge. It's awesome. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And thank you for the space and for the culture that you're creating with your voice and your platform. I definitely think this is what the world needs. This is what communities need um, just to be encouraged. And sometimes we just need that voice reminding us we're made for purpose and on purpose and that we're loved and we don't have to strive that we can just be. Um, and thank you for taking the time to read streams of gold. That means so much to me. I'm Everybody glad you enjoyed get it. One. Go get yours. It's, it's it is on Amazon prime. 